It's time for episode 440 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where we are living in the future, coming to you from Zoom for the first time. Who knew it could happen? Yes, we've been long Skype stalwarts, but uh, we have joined the future. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my dungeon buddy, and my time-traveling companion. It's Dan the Man Morin. Hello, Dan. Hi, Micah. Welcome to uh, March 2020, where everybody started using Zoom. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I think we're living in the past, technically. Oh, yeah, darn it. Darn, well, okay. I said time traveling companion, so we can Fair. go to the past. Fair. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am very excited uh, for the show today because we have an awesome guest on the show, RPG developer, industry DEI consultant, and creator of Into the Motherlands. Can you guess who it is? <gasps> It's Tanya to pass. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much, Mike. It's fun. We have not talked in a long, long time. I've never got to hang out with Dan or Jason, so this is going to be interesting and wild. Yay! We love interesting and wild. Micah, I must correct your intro. We have two amazing guests on the show today. <laughs> <laughs> to my left, it is a podcaster Twitter. It's such shows as Tech News Weekly, all about Android this week in tech. Oh, gosh, so many shows. It's Jason Howell. Welcome back, Jason. Look, I'm just uh, merely okay, a guest, okay? I'm, 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 I'm satisfactory, let's say. You're sufficient. Say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sufficient. <laughs> it's good to be wow. here. Thank you. While I work up all of my apologies for Jason, um, I will- I love kick, you, Micah. <laughs> love you, too. <laughs> Um, wow, I've got two regular co-hosts on the show right now, um, and I'm taking them for granted. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's get into the show. Um, my topic for you, if a self-driving taxi service was available, I'm curious if you would use it. And if not, what's keeping you from wanting to hop into a driverless car? Tanya, we'll start with you. Absolutely not. I've seen too many sci-fi movies, Skynet, and also... As a black person in the U.S., I can't imagine what would happen if the cops stopped a driverless car and saw me just in the back. I would like to keep living. Mm. So also, anything can go wrong with technology. Anybody could have, like, you know, a way to circumvent it, to take over the driving of the car. I have no way of knowing how accurate it is about judging distance, about stopping, starting, getting me to my location. So I absolutely would not use a driverless car. I do not trust the technology, and I doubt I ever will. I think the only driverless car you're going to find me in is the Cars ride at Disneyland, which is great. But it's on a track, and let's admit that that is what makes it okay. Um, yep. the, dri- the driverless car thing, I am very skeptical. I, It's just not something that I'm on board with yet. Also, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to driving. I like to drive. I don't, I'm not always the best passenger. I'll fully admit that. But I, you know, I, I was always sort of the, the group driver when we were in like high school and college. And so for me, it is just a matter of like, I want to have my hands on that wheel. Uh, and if I were just riding in the back, that sounds, that just sounds terrifying to me with no one up there, just seeing like the little wheel move back and forth. I feel like that's when all the, the door locks slam shut around you. I'm with Tanya on this one. No, hard no. Jason. 
Hmm. I mean, I enjoy driving. I, I do love driving. Uh, however, at this end, and I have not ridden in a self-driving or autonomous vehicle to date. You know, I've been in a Tesla. I've been in someone's Tesla where they activated the whatever you want to call it, self-driving mode on the freeway for, for a short bit. So that's about as close as I've gotten. But I think at this point, I probably would. Like, I, I, I'm not saying that I would rely on it or use it often. But if I was given the opportunity to do it, and those opportunities apparently don't come very often because I've not had that opportunity yet, I'd probably say yes, just to experience it. I'm pretty certain I'd live at the end of that ride. I'd be alive at the end of that ride. Uh, it's probably the same reason that if I was given the opportunity to jump out of an airplane, you know, do some skydiving, I'd probably do that too. So uh, I say yes. I like to think that I would really enjoy it. I uh, have ADHD, and it's interesting how when I'm in the car, it seems like I come up with some really great ideas. Um, so I, I would think that maybe uh, being able to have that period of time where nothing else is going on to be able to to work on something would uh, would would be a great time to get things done. At the same time, though, there's a part of me that thinks that it's um, the driving itself that sort of activates that part of my brain that would otherwise be spinning on a thousand different things. And so that's why I am able to come up with those ideas. But I have to agree with Tanya um, on one important thing. I find myself doing all sorts of theater when it comes to um, the, the different places like restaurants as a black person you you go to a restaurant where they let you uh use the little qr code to like pay and then you walk away i super over exaggerate my movements whenever i'm making that payment like i am totally paying for this right now i am doing this as i walk out and i don't even want to take steps into uh those stores where you just grab things and then leave because having been followed around in stores before that makes me feel uncomfortable that i'm going to be sort of um targeted uh so I 100% agree that that does play a role in me not wanting to to check out driverless cars. But uh, hopefully, at some point in the future where we've got more people using driverless cars than we do uh, drivered cars, maybe that's the point whenever I would feel comfortable in there. All right, let us move on to our next topic, which comes from Tanya. Uh, yeah, so for those that don't know, I, I stream on Twitch. I'm a partner streamer. been doing this almost eight years. And I was wondering, what myths do you all know about Twitch or what do you think about Twitch? Because I keep getting people who think it's super easy. That once you get the partner check mark, you are suddenly rich. Uh, you know, being female bodied, that I must have it easy and just have people falling all over my stream. So I'm especially curious about the myths that you all have about Twitch streaming. I think that that first one is the one I sort of figure out there. Twitch, you know, you stream on Twitch. It's just it's just playing video games online, right? That's that's easy. <laughs> Anyone could do that. I play video games all the time. Therefore, I would be a, an amazing streamer. Uh, it's I have tried it once or twice, and I will say it's very hard. <laughs> uh, so my respect to all, everybody who who streams games on Twitch and does a great job of it because it is a really challenging skill set. I imagine that a lot of the myths are probably similar to some of the ones about podcasting. Uh, except the podcasting, I think, has become more of a uh, uh, perhaps largely mocked <laughs> sort of pastime in a lot of quarters. But the same idea that like there was a an early days of podcasting where it's like, well, you start a podcast and you're you're going to be rich. You're going to yeah. have sponsors coming to you all the time, and everybody will know who you are, and you'll be famous. And and you know the realities in there in that case were you know 
not not really in meshing with sort of the the preconceptions that everybody had jason I mean, I feel the same way, right? Like uh, podcasting, live streaming, creating content for YouTube. It all looks so easy, I think, to the person who's a fan of those platforms and who frequents those platforms as a viewer or as a visitor. It seems like the kind of thing that you could just go and start up a channel and just start playing games or doing doing your thing and it's going to happen. But you know, you pointed it out, Dan, there is a significant amount of luck that goes along with all of this. The algorithm, the algorithms have to kind of work in your favor to get the eyeballs to even notice that you're even there to begin with on top of being good at what you do and entertaining and everything um and you know not to mention providing some sort of value to the person on the other side uh, of the screen so i think that's probably the myth that continues and probably will continue these these platforms have democratized uh media in such a way that it really does seem like anyone can make a really successful career out of this stuff and unfortunately you know, hopefully people are doing it also because they enjoy it, because a lot of times that ends up being the true gold to be found there. I think mine is less of a myth and more of an assumption. And it's something that I see across any type of uh, of, of of sort of putting yourself out there in front of people, be it streaming or, or podcasting. And that is, uh, it's kind of a two pronged thing. The assumption that a given person is a subject matter expert on anything related to them. This is particularly uh, true among marginalized folks, where, you know, simply because I am a member of the queer community, that I am the be all end all uh, answerer for all queer questions. Um, and because I am a person of color, I am the be all end all subject matter expert for uh, black folks in society. And the, the, the second prong of that is that uh, the assumption that because we put ourselves out there for streaming, that it means we are always wanting to spend what energy we have on the emotional labor involved with explaining things to folks and answering every question that they have about these different things. A friend of mine who's on my on a stream team with me uh, for Queer Streamers literally was talking about this yesterday, where they had someone who came in and was like, explain what is LGBTQIA, and they were very kind and explained it, but they also talked about how the person was like, well, I asked another stream and I got banned and their answer was good because they had never come to a stream before. They'd never showed up. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that they said was explain basically what you are to me. (laughs) Exactly. And, and when you were talking, I was just like, Oh my God, this is me. Especially like black history month just ended. It's now women's history month in June. We get to do the dance again And, you know, and while I didn't throw that out as part of the myths rapid fire, it's the because I'm president in the public eye, vis-a-vis being on Twitch and using those tags, that I am your walking dictionary. I am your walking Mm -hmm. Google for being a femme, cis femme-bodied person, for being black, being queer. I just want to play some games. I want to keep dying in Elden Ring. Leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any other myths you want to share before we uh, head into halftime? Well, other than getting the partner checkmark means you're rich, spoiler, it does not, that only games are on Twitch. There are people who do crafting, they make music. Mm-hmm. Like, I've done more than gaming on Twitch. I, I make, I paint minis, I make dice. That Twitch as a platform also should not be the only way you're trying to make money. People really think 
they can start a channel, get on Twitch, and then that's going to pay their bills. There's like maybe 2% of the people on the platform that could say, yes, I pull in enough money to be able to pay my bills, eat, live, pay taxes, go to the doctor if I'm hurt, and still make a living. I am not one of those people, even though I've been doing this for almost eight years and have been partnered for nearly five. Now, us having re- having written f- for novels, it, you know, in some ways, it also doesn't change from that either. I was thinking nope. about that earlier is like to Jason's point about podcasting and all the other like endeavors, pretty much any creative endeavor people think is is easy and you can immediately get rich. And it turns out much less common than you think. Mm-hmm. All righty, folks, let us head into halftime while I rethink asking Dan for lots of money. Um, I want to tell you about <laughs> Electric, who are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. When leading your small business, it's not all glitz and glam, fam. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours trying to find a laptop that's lost in the mail for a new hire or dealing with some other technical emergency. The team at Electric know small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. And that's why, you know what, they've gone ahead and solved the problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops and answering never ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Look, I've got friends who have uh, started businesses and have that entrepreneurial mindset. And one of those things that you end up being is kind of a jack-of-all-trades person. You like to do everything, but at some point, you kind of have to switch away from wanting to do everything and let someone who is an expert in this field take over for you there. That is Electric. For Clockwise listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash clockwise to set it up. That's electric, E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C dot A-I slash clockwise to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today just for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. All right, we are back from halftime, and that means it's time for Dan's topic. Well, uh, thanks to my lovely wife who managed to track down a PS5 for me as an early birthday present. Uh, I've been catching up on some games from the past few years. I've never had a PlayStation before, so I'm like, I've got like years of exclusives that I can now finally play. So my question for you folks is, do you tend to, you know, keep up with sort of the latest and greatest games when the new game comes out? You got to have it. Or are you content to sort of sit and wait and maybe get it when it goes on sale and, uh, you know, maybe catch up on sort of that backlog? Jason? I would say that I play games very sporadically. And usually if I'm playing games like I have a PS4, that's the, the latest console that I have have a handful of games you know the uncharted series i uh, i was i was pretty into and then the uh, the last of us series was kind of the last series that i really was dialed into i i think i got last of us 2 soon soon enough after launch but that's like the only time i've done that in the last 10 years where there's been a release of a game and i was like right there when it came out excited for it and ready to to like conquer it um i'm i'm just so passive such a passive gamer at this point that um you know i play when i can and i'm not as tuned into like what is the hot game right now when can i get it it's just like it happens eventually and often it happens by accident so <laughs> i'm pretty far outside of the norm probably in this group yeah um we've got a we've got a ps5 and 
I have not played many games on it. My partner is the is the gamer of the two. It's very rare for me to find a game that truly captures my attention. But when it does, then I tend to play that game pretty regularly. So I think that the when it comes out doesn't matter so much as the sort of subject and the the game playing. I think Elden Ring is one of those games that I'm going to end up buying or however it works these days. I don't know. Do you subscribe? Who knows? Anyway, that one I think is going to end up being one that I play. But it's not just because it's new. It's because that is the kind of game that I like, if that makes sense. Tanya, what about you? It's rough because... You know, being still in the games industry and also being a streamer is one of those things where it's like, do I go after the hot new game to stream it? Do I even try to get a PR code or do I just sit and play The Sims for like eight hours on an off day because, oh, my God, I can't think about writing a review or streaming and dealing with people on the Internet. Um, so I've been going back and forth because I got a PR code for Elden Ring, which I didn't expect. So I did a little of that. But I also just hopped on and played like The Sims for four hours the other day, partially just to like not think because it's a game I don't have to think while I play. And I want to get to a point where I can, if I buy a game cool and I don't ever talk about games that I buy unless I'm going to stream it, because then it always turns into, I can't wait to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. What, what I think is I need to have a game that's just for me. That's what mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I will also sit here and like, do D&D stuff because I don't just play video games. Business-wise, I have to keep up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. But personally, I just some days, like, I just want to turn on my PS2 and go back to simpler times (laughs) or or see if my, uh, oh, God, what's the old Sega system? Dreamcast. I still have my Dreamcast. Oh, I love the Dreamcast. I love it. It's full of dust right now. I need to clean it and see if it still works. Uh, (laughs) But some days I just want to like sit with my Dreamcast or the PS2 and not think about the 80 gigs of memory that I need to run a game these days. (laughs) Yeah, I I enjoy being able to catch up on stuff later on, in part because I do find that it's cheaper. Like, you know, so I've been playing the Marvel Spider-Man game from like 2018, I want to say, which... As a four-year-old game, you're like, oh, four years, the graphics must be... I'm like, they look fine to me because I've been playing all these other old games. Like, I don't need to be on the cutting edge as much as I used to be. And therefore, I feel like it's it's a nice way to be able to feel less critical sometimes about games because the whole, like, initial response to it has kind of blown over. It's not just about, like, being part of sort of the zeitgeist of whatever is happening right now, but also just being like, oh, you know, this game was really cool. Um, last year, I played... Uh, Titanfall 2, which was a game that was several years old that I remembered hearing people rave about and, you know, picked it up for I don't know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks, maybe. And I was like, wow, this game is really good. Like, you know, and it, it was just refreshing to be able to sit down and not have to worry about what is sort of the thing that's going on right now. Do I have to be tapped into that? Exactly what you were talking about, Tanya. Like, do I feel like I need to be part of the conversation about this? Or is there just a game that I can enjoy for the sake of being a game that I want to play? So I, I really appreciate that aspect of it. And I'm looking forward to catching up on on all these old classics that I have missed out on. All right. Thank you all for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Jason. 
All right. Um, I am fascinated by all things uh, artificial intelligence, in particular, how artificial intelligence crosses the the line into creativity. And so I'm curious, you know, as we've been hearing these stories about, you know, this AI created this art or this AI or this system created this music or whatever, like we're still early days. But do you actually value art that's created by machines and AI the same way that you would value or or how do you value? How do you compare art created by machines versus how art is created by humans? This is such a good question that Scott just there's so much to it. Um, because what I want to what I would say is on the face of it, no, I would not value art created by machines or AI rather versus what's created by humans. But uh, Jason, you and I talked a little bit about this before on Tech News Weekly and when you get to the heart of it, these machines, this AI, are ultimately created by human beings. And so you do have to go, okay, even if the final AI-generated piece is something that was generated by the AI, that AI was generated by a human. So in that way, it is art creating art. And that means that a human was at, was at the root of it. So I think that just sort of saying, I devalue anything, or I don't value anything that was created by uh, a robot or by an artificial intelligence um, through and through, that logic kind of falls through if you say that. But as far as sort of how I feel about it in its current form, uh, when it comes to music, I think that there's still so much of a difference between the two. And so you can usually kind of tell. Um, and in that case, then I do value human created music more. But when it comes to artworks, visual arts and things uh, of that nature, I could see myself valuing uh, something created by an AI just as much as I did something created by a human because at its root, it was created by a human. Tanya, what are your thoughts? Oh, wow. I went down like a rabbit hole mentally as you were talking. <laughs> well, in a, in a good way, because it, it because I did not think about the human creating the AI part of this conversation until you talked about it, Micah. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's also, it for me, it's an exercise in what does sentience mean? Because if this AI was created by a person, but it has enough agency to understand music and art enough to create a piece, does this mean that we're now giving sentience through the creation of art and music? Mm-hmm. And while I, I've never thought of the value of it either. It's like, this is art, this is music. And unless someone told me before listening to it or viewing it, it was created by an AI. I probably wouldn't think of it. I would go into it with the, do I subjectively like this piece of art? Do I like how this music sounds? And so now I'm kind of like, I value it, but also I've got this branching train of thought about what does this mean about sentience and personhood? And if we some, if the AI could hear us having this conversation, which in and of itself is a creepy thought, what does that mean for a, for something that is artificial to be able to create art and music, something we've always given this esoteric value to because not everyone's good at art, not everyone's good at music. And do we then go, well, machines are now making music. I guess I'm going to hang it up as a musician or an artist. So there's all these things that make me go, 
I value it, but it's like on kind of a spectrum of, I value it, but it also makes me think a lot deeper about humanity and personhood and sentience. And that's probably not the answer anyone wanted, but that's where my brain went. <laughs> um, I feel like innately I don't value it very much unless the robots win the upcoming war between robots and humans, in which case, yes, totally value it. You're Sorry. great art there, AI. <laughs> uh, I won't let you drive me around in a car, but you make great pictures. Um, I think that's an interesting way of looking at that. Actually, I think both Tanya and Mikey, you brought really interesting elements to this. Not only the, the idea of being created by a person, but also then what that says about AI as a life form or a you know, person, individual. It is kind of fascinating and kind of like makes me want to write a sci-fi story about this yeah. idea uh, of like uh, art created by AIs. Um, no, there, it, it is an interesting question. I, I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but I do think the idea, as Tanya pointed out, of like not knowing whether art was created by the AI sort of divorces it from that preconceived notion. If you were presented with a piece and you did not know its origins, could you judge it more, you know, uh, neutrally in terms of that? Or are we just like have to see it through the lens of, of the creator? I think that's an, a very interesting question. So I think my initial thought was it, it's not something that holds a lot of value for me. But uh, the more I think about it, the more I realize that maybe that is in and of itself a form of prejudice, perhaps uh, in just the most literal sense of prejudging something without having seen the thing. Um, so I think I will have to revise my opinion and say that. I think it would very much depend on on sort of judging the piece of art on its own merits rather than what created it. Uh, and certainly AI has become more and more complex. And obviously, people are play a part in its creation. Therefore, there is that aspect of sort of, uh, you know, sentience or what have, what have you sort of linked with it. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I came into this thinking I would be very poo-pooing of it. Um, but now I'm feeling like maybe maybe I need to think more about that. Um, but they can't take over the novel writing business, please. It's hard enough as it is. <laughs> Jason, you want to wrap us up here? Understood. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? This is uh, I, I I think about this a lot because, like, I you know, I am a creative person. I love creativity. Um, but then when I look at creativity through a very analytical lens, I realize that a lot about creativity, like there is a human element that's kind of intangible, but then there is also a lot of, there are also a lot of uh, things about creativity that I hate to say it's paint by numbers, but really, you know, it, like when you take a, an electric, electronic music, uh, tr soundtrack, like really when you break it down to its core elements, mathematically speaking, it, it makes sense that you could break this down and have a machine make this in a convincing way that somebody who didn't know whether a machine made it or not would be convinced that, uh, you know, wouldn't be phased by the fact that, oh, well, it sounds like an electron, you know, it sounds like a house track. Like there's a very mathematical formula to certain things around creativity that it makes sense to me that maybe we're not there yet. But there will be a time where computers and AI and whatever the next technology is, is smart enough, capable enough, and uh, well-rehearsed enough to create things in a way that humans create them, and for us humans to not be able to decipher the difference. And if we don't know that there's a computer on the other side doing that, uh, yeah, I think I do place value in it, because beauty is beauty. Art is art. Uh, but I also love what you said, Micah. You know, these, these machines... 
are built by humans. So at its core, it is created by a human. Um, it's when, you know, machines start creating machines that start creating machines that start creating things <laughs> that maybe then, you know, we've got a different story. But I'm, I'm fascinated by this, if you can't tell. Absolutely. Um, well, folks, we have just enough time for a bonus topic. And here is mine for you. Is there a song that when it comes on, you can't help but dance to even if it's just a little bit of head bopping or toe tapping? Tanya? Um, oh, this is hard. because I've been thinking about this question the whole time. Um, it's either Humble by Kendrick Lamar, or Purple Rain by Prince. Nice. Mm. Both good choices. Um, I'm thinking... Uh, shut up and dance. I don't know. It's maybe trite, but it is a very catchy song. Very catchy. Um, yeah, along those lines, uh, Dua Lipa's uh, Don't Start Now, when that comes on, like, I can't help but want to turn it up. It's got this, like, very disco house quality to it from, like, the early 2000s. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's got this quality that I can't help but bob my head to. Uh, for me, honestly, and this is why I asked this question, it's any song. If a song comes on, even if I'm just sitting there very quietly, like there is some part of my body that's moving, even if it's just my hips kind of rocking back and forth lightly in my chair. <laughs> so I wanted to hear if it was uh, anything in particular for folks or for, if it's like for me where it's just like, mm, if there's a beat, my body is moving. Oh, man. Beethoven's Claire de Lune. I just <laughs> oh, can't help but rock no, out No, I'm not to even it. kidding. <laughs> that would also make me at least toe tap. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, if you'd like to get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a clockwise subscriber. Just go to relay.fm slash clockwise and you can sign up for just five bucks per month or 50 bucks per year and you'll help support the show. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss tech companies making changes in Russia. With that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise, uh, which means it's time to thank our incredible guests. Tanya DePass, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're so welcome. This was fun. I want to come back. Oh, you're definitely coming back. <laughs> <laughs> it made me miss podcasting, actually. Oh. <laughs> and Jason Howell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Always a pleasure. I love the the questions each and every time. Super fascinating stuff. So appreciate hanging out with you guys. And Micah, uh, that's all we have time for. So we'll be back next week. But until then, let's remind everybody out there, watch what you say and keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.